Today, we are starting uh, a series called More Than a Feeling, because the truth of the matter is that joy actually is available to each one of us, even in hard times. And, and so that's what we're going to be talking about over the course of the next 10 weeks as we look through the book of Philippians. In fact, scholars call the book of Philippians the most joy-filled book in the Bible, at least in the New Testament. Uh, the Apostle Paul uses the word joy or a form of the word joy at least 16 times throughout the book of Philippians. And so what we get a glimpse of is a, 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 a experience from Jesus for followers of Jesus that is available no matter what situation you find yourselves in. In Jesus, we truly have more than a feeling. We have more than a feeling. So as I've been praying about this series, you know, I, I, pre, I had the privilege of preaching through the book of Jonah recently, and I really wanted us to be able to think something, to be, be able to understand something as we went through that book. And so I approached that much more like a, a, a teacher or a professor. And as I've been pr praying about this series, what I really desire is that you'll be able to feel something and hold on to something that's even more than a feeling, is deeper than a feeling, that will carry you through even the hardest times. I, I really pray that the Lord... Um, produces the fruit of the Spirit inside of each one of us, which is joy, as we go through this series. So that's what we're going to start off with. Um, and I love how, you know, when you offer something just to kids, and they, they instant, we offered a water gun to our daughter last night, and she got so excited. She was like jumping up and down. So um, the stuff out in the foyer that's on our smile uh, stations, the little tables with a bunch of little kid toys on them, they're actually for you. Uh, if you would love to enjoy a smile and feel like a kid again, you can yo-yo in church. Uh, the things on those tables are for you to take. They're for free. They're just for fun. We just want to help you be able to feel something and have a little bit of fun with that. Um, but the, the truth of the matter is what we're going to be talking about actually is so much bigger than a feeling or a momentary experience. It's a, it's a joy that lasts so much deeper. Um, but before we dive in, I want to start with a question. How many of you have a funny little habit that you do? A goofy thing? Maybe the person next to you has one, but you clearly don't. Um, <laughs> if you're married, you definitely have one. Um, yeah, just ask your spouse. I know they're going to tell me something, right? But I have, a fu I have a funny little habit. Now, before I tell you what my funny little habit is, you've got to be nice to me. I'm being a little bit open here, okay? Can you guys do that? Can you at least give me some good thank yous? Thank you so much. Um, I love, this is just a personal thing. I love it. I love unsubscribing from email lists. Anybody else? Okay. All right. I see you, 12,000 email people. Yeah, yeah. You guys are weird. Um, no, but I love unsubscribing from email lists. Literally, I will do this once a month. I will take about 20 or 30 minutes, and I will go through, and I'll just unsubscribe from all the email lists I signed up for to get free stuff, right? And so, oh, don't say you don't know what I'm talking about. Like, I've got seven emails just for my free things. Um, and so, I will go through, and I will unsubscribe from email lists uh, every single month. I'll just do that for 20 or 30 minutes. And it's amazing. If you've never done that, I promise you, you should try it. It's kind of like a mini vacation, okay? It's a, it's, it's a treat yourself moment. It feels so good and so freeing to go like, wow, all the emails in my inbox are just there for me because somebody actually wants to talk to me. And so what this has produced as I do this more and more, what this has produced is an email inbox of literally, currently, right now, two unread emails. And I know exactly who they're from, and I know exactly when I'm going to respond to them. All right? I just haven't got to it yet. All right? And so what this does, it's amazing. No more frustrated people. 
No more unread emails and miscommunication messages. No, no more uh, relationships that are like, come on, when are you going to answer me? I sent you something in email, right? Like, I know what's in my inbox. It is, it's a goofy little habit. It doesn't really matter. I don't uh, judge you if you don't do that. In fact, you probably should judge me because it's weird. But um, it's a goofy little habit, but it produces kind of a nice result. Uh, this thing I do over time actually helps me in my communication process. Now, um, maybe you have a goofy little habit. It's not necessarily wrong, but maybe people think you're strange because of it. That's okay. Uh, and some of these habits, they're great. They're funny. They're inconsequential. They give you that place in the tell me something interesting about yourself conversation. Um, but beyond that, they don't have a ton of significance. On the other hand, there are other habits that we do that, though they seem small, produce huge results. They, they lead to great success. And, and, and some habits that we have actually have a way of course correcting the direction of our lives and sending us back in the right direction. Now, as we begin the book of Philippians, we're going to be reading through uh, the first part of chapter 1 today. And what I really believe is Paul actually outlined six habits of highly joyful people. Six habits of highly joyful people. They're little things that the Philippian believers in Paul were doing that actually produced great joy so that Paul could write the most joy-filled letter in the New Testament from the confines of prison. And say, I have so much joy. I'm like so excited about what God's doing in you. And what God's doing in me. And what's happening. I have so much joy. And he's writing this from prison. And, and I believe that the Philippian Christians and Paul were demonstrating these six habits of highly joy-filled people that we're going to talk about today. And this was the result. This is what Paul understood, that when our lives are centered around Jesus, we will discover a joy that never flees us. Amen? Right? This is Paul's, he's kind of getting to this point, and he's going to outline six habits that kind of center around this concept of like making our whole lives about Jesus and his mission. When our lives are about Jesus, we'll have a joy that never flees us. And this is where Paul is going with this. And so he sets up the book of Philippians with these six habits of highly joy-filled people. And I actually believe that they work the same today. I really believe that these are habits that Christians throughout the centuries have, have practiced and, uh, and, and found joy because they've made their lives about Jesus. But before we want to dive in, what I want to do is set up the context, the backstory for what Paul is writing from, who he's writing to, what is his mindset as he approaches this the, the writing of this letter to the Philippians, okay? So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, this is actually the origin story of the church at Philippi. While you're turning there, remember this. The Apostle Paul is not writing this letter from freedom. He's writing this letter from prison, and he's writing to a group of people that he's it's not like he's never met these people. He knows them. He's writing to people he's met, faces he's seen, people he's interact with, stories that he has in person seen Jesus totally transform. This is to whom Paul is writing. And this is a glimpse of what that looks like. 
Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. So we got Luke, who's writing this, and we got Silas, and we got Paul. They're on a missionary journey together, right? And they get to Philippi. Verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city, the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down there to speak to women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia. Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, which is in modern-day Asia, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now, when he says a worshiper of God, he doesn't mean she actively follows Jesus. What he means is there is a, a multiplicity of gods in her region, right? And she had recognized, I, I don't, I, I reject this, this idea of worshiping all these gods. I, I recognize there's at least one God. There's, or not at least, at most there's one God. And I, I worship him. And she came to, she came to Philippi. And she, she found a, a body of uh, worshipers and, and was seeking God. She's worshiping God. But apparently she, quasn't, she hasn't quite discovered Jesus yet. Okay, That's where she's at. And so Paul... Uh, he begins to speak, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. And she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now, this is, this is an amazing woman, okay? This is an amazing woman. She's from Asia, but she has a home in Philippi, okay? She invited us to her house, right? So this is, this is a rich woman, first of all. This is a rich woman, but she's also a powerful woman. She is a leader in the fashion industry, right? She'd, she'd be like an exec at Versace or something, okay? She is a dealer in fine purple linen that she's apparently doing well enough to have two homes on two diff in two different countries, okay? Well-traveled, smart, uh, a leader in the fashion industry. She is a powerful, powerful woman, okay? She's very wealthy. She's cultured. She's in control of her life. And so when Paul speaks to her, he appeals to her intellect. He's teaching. He's, he's talking to her. And through that means of communication, God opens up her heart to receive the message of Jesus. But this is not the only way that Paul um, approached a particular situation and that God opened somebody's heart. Let's keep going, right? So we got Lydia. We move on. Verse 16. Once we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. So he had kept going back to where Lydia was. But... On one of those days, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. That's exactly what she sounded like. <laughs> she kept this up for many days, and Paul was so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that very moment, the Spirit left her. And when the owners of the slave realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They said before the magistrates, These men are Jews, and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs that are unlawful for Romans to accept. Now, notice the, the, the condition of this slave girl. Okay? She is not wealthy. She is not in control of her life, right? She, she is very poor, 
She is out of control. She is possessed by a demon and used for profit by other men. This is almost the exact opposite of what Lydia's situation was like. And then she's almost manic as she's running the streets day after day, tormenting Paul and Silas. Right? This woman does not need an intellectual discussion. In fact, she was not in the state of mind even in this moment to receive that. All she knew was she was serving a higher power. She was controlled by men who were more powerful than her. And the deepest longing of her heart was, is there a power that will set me free? And so Paul doesn't appeal to her intellect. He demonstrates the power of God before her and says, come out. And instantly she begins to follow them. Okay, this is person number two. Person number three, continue on. Not a very like intellectual person and not somebody who's interested in the hype and the craze of powerful demonstrations and miracles. Okay, the next person we discover is an ex-GI. Okay, former military man. The, the city of Philippi historically was known for a place where former military people would retire. And they would go to Philippi. And so this, is, this guy is actually living in Philippi, ex-military, and he's retired. And now he's, he's keeping watch over the prison. All right, so verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered to have them stripped and beaten. They're tortured. Um, they're sent to jail. And they're, they're locked up in stocks. Verse 25. About midnight... Paul and Silas are still singing. They're singing hymns and praising God. And the other prisoners are listening to them. Verse 26, suddenly God shows up. There's a violent earthquake. I'm going to summarize this because this is a whole chapter. But basically, there's a violent earthquake. God shows up. All the doors of the prison are open. And nobody leaves. But this guy, he's up above. He's guarding the prison. He doesn't know that nobody leaves. He just sees all the doors are open. I failed my duty. It's a duty-bound Roman guard. He just wants to show up, serve his duty to Rome, and go home and watch the game. Right? Blue-collar, hard-working man, like, just tell me what to do. I want to fulfill my duty. And he sees that the doors are open, and he fears, I have failed my duty. I'm going to kill myself. He's about to fall on his sword. And Paul and Silas say, no, 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 don't kill yourself. We're all here. And so he says the famous line, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What is the right thing for me to do to save myself in this situation? And you know what they say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's verse 31. You and your household. So they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And that hour of the night, the jailer took them home and he washed them. And, and they, uh, immediately all of his family were baptized and he gave them a meal. And they were what? They were filled with joy. So now what we have here is we have Lydia, we have a slave girl, and, and we have this duty-bound Roman guard. This is a glimpse into the beginning of the, of the Philippian church to whom Paul is writing. Intellectual CEO, poor slave girl, blue-collar, duty-bound um, guy who just wants to do his job well. So when Paul says later in verse 8, God knows how much I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is eagerly 
anticipating the opportunity to go back and to see the faces through which he has seen God's power demonstrated in a variety of ways. This is the beginning of the Philippian church to which Paul is writing. And I just think about this. In what context would these three people have ever come together? In what context would, 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 a, would a powerful fashion leader interact with a demon-possessed slave girl? And in what context would this duty-bound XGI be interested in Giorgio Armani? <laughs> He's like, no, 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 no. Just give me a good pair of Nikes and I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, in what context would these three people, what would bring them together but the gospel? This is the power. This is the power of the gospel that it defies race, it defies background, it defies economic status, it defies intellectual capacity and even social mobility. The gospel cut right through all these barriers that, that we normally build up and it created a community that would have never come together before. And so as Paul's imagining all of the, uh, of the ways that God is working in them now, man, he is delighted, he's excited, he's anticipating um, what God could do even more to not only transform lives, but to, to shape communities and to shake cities, right? And this is what gives him so much joy while he's in prison. All right, so let's open the text. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. In other words, he's writing to a whole church. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to stop right there because what's really interesting and I think is so crucial is how Paul starts this letter. This joy-filled letter, this letter that's all about discovering something from God that will elevate me above these seasons that are trying to drag me down. What is it? What is the starting point for this? Paul says that we're servants. Actually, maybe you were reading a translation that even says slaves. It's the Greek word doulos, which refers to like a bond servant or an indentured servant or uh, a former uh, form of slavery. And slaves were, were kind of common. It's not like nobody knew what they were. It was part of the society at the time. They were common because of war. They were, in fact, slaves were even in the Philippian church. They would worship alongside their masters. And, and so everybody knew who slaves were and, and with a slave, everything relates to the master, right? Everything is about the master. The, the title slave that Paul is using here, or servant, the title doulos, is not a position of honor in the first century world, or any century for that matter, right? And so the, I think this is one of the keys to unlocking joy in every season of your life. You're not going to like this, but here it is. You want to discover joy in any season of life? Realize that your life is not about you. Realize your life is not about you. It's not about making you happy. You don't exist solely for you. Your life is actually much more meaningful than that. Have you ever watched a, a sports game with someone who cares like a little too much about the game? It's not you. It's probably the person next to you. 
right? And, and so the umpire makes a call, and they, like, stand up, like, no, come on! That's not a red card! That's not a flag! That's not a strikeout! Like, you know what I mean? It's like, you're like, whoa, whoa, you're not, they can't hear you. Cool down. I'm sure you know nobody like this, right? And, and so the game goes on, and they're like yelling at the ref, and they're getting, you know, really depressed because their fantasy team is just taking a big hit. And like the rest of their day gets wrecked because of something that happened that had nothing to do with them. Maybe even the next day, they're just still like sulking as like, it was the big game. Come on, give me this one. And, and everybody else around them is like, whoa. You just let your entire emotional experience be completely flipped around because something happened that had nothing to do with you? What is going on? Right? Or maybe it's like that person in the stands. I've seen an umpire or a referee turn around and, you know, threaten to eject a, a, a dad from the stands because he cared. He's like trying to like live through his students, through his kids. Like, come on, that was not a foul. And, and it's like, this isn't, this isn't your game. You're not in the game. This wasn't actually about you. Nobody fouled you. Nobody called you out. This wasn't about you. Why are you letting this whole thing bring you down when it wasn't about you? And I think we do that in life. When we realize that this life is not actually about us, it's actually about something so much bigger, so much greater, so much more beyond us, in which we find our value, then we begin to realize, like, if I'm just a doulos, if I'm just a servant or a slave to Jesus, then this wasn't actually about me. I know you meant that one for me, but I'm not taking it personally because I serve him. And so this is the first key of discovering joy in every season of your life is to realize your life's not actually about you. No, no, no. Joy is always available because God is always good, even when life isn't. So he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, verse 4, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I believe Paul right here is outlining six habits that he and the Philippian Christians actually live with that spark so much joy. Verse 4, he, he says, In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. He has a regular routine of approaching God in prayer. Verse 5 and 7, here's two habits. He shares the good news and he partners with others in God's mission. Notice this. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the, good, from the first day until now, he's referring to their partnership and sharing the gospel. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I, ha I have you in my heart for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Like you're partnering with me in this. And then verse 6, man, he has so much optimism for other people. Like I, I'm convinced that God will continue to do a good work in you. And then he has this eager anticipation for what's going to happen. Like, I cannot wait to see you. I eagerly anticipate and look forward to and long for you with the tender affection of Christ. 
Like he has this eager anticipation about what's coming up. It's not in his current circumstance. It is still held off in the future, but he has joy because he anticipates it. And then finally, his affection for other people, his compassion. I think these six habits actually spark an immense amount of joy. You know, I think one of the things I've noticed about habits, though, is this. We tend to overestimate how powerful they are in a year, and we tend to underestimate how powerful they are in 10 years. You ever notice that? Like, yes, I am going to work out this year. It's my New Year's resolution, and you get to the end of the year, and they're like, I don't see the muscles. But it's amazing how, how powerful, and we don't even notice this sometimes, how, how we underestimate the power of habits over the course of 10 years. Um, you'll be amazed at the results you see from taking frequent and faithful baby steps. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. Right? I, I heard it said one time, I said this to the seniors, the senior class a couple weeks ago, that it takes about 10 years to become an overnight success. In other words... It's the little steps faithfully taken in the same direction over the course of time that will produce the biggest results. And this is, this is what we see. Paul's like, I want you to keep going. I pray for you to keep going. No, no, you're doing good. In fact, this letter is the only letter Paul writes that has no corrective statements in it. He doesn't actually say, stop doing this at all in this letter. It's the only one that Paul does with this. All he has is, is enthusiasm and praise and, 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 and affirmation for what God is already doing in the Philippian believers. And he says, I don't got nothing to change for you. Just keep going. Look at this, verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So that, what's the result? That you'll be able to discern what's best and pure and blameless in the until the day of Christ Jesus. Keep going. Take those faithful steps all the way until the, Christ, day, the, until the day of Christ Jesus so you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and the glory of God. Notice this. When I'm growing spiritually and Jesus' love for me is abounding more and more and it's overflowing to other people and, and I have the wisdom to know and to discern what really matters. And what doesn't matter. And my life is free of blame. And I'm living holy, pure. And, and I begin to live out the purpose of my life. This is what happens. I begin to walk in the purpose of my life. Which is to bring glory and honor to God. Because my life is about Him. It's not about me. When this is the story of my life. Then I will have a joy that cannot be shaken. And notice this. Where the description of joy is coming from. It is coming from. Social opposition and imprisonment. Like this is the crazy thing about unshakable joy is it tends to reveal itself when the temporary pleasures of your life are stripped away. You don't discover the strength of your joy until all the pleasures of life are taken away. I mean, yes, you can certainly feel joyful when life is going well, obviously. Pray for those times. But heavenly joy is more than a feeling. And it will sustain you even when life hurts you. Which is great to say until you look in the eyes of somebody who's hurting. Or you're the one hurting. And you're like, how? How? 
God, why is this happening? How is this going to be any way of revealing joy in my life? And this is the key, that when your life is not about you, what happens around you can never take from you what God has given to you. Like when my life is about something so much greater, so much bigger, that when, when God is doing something in my life where he's allowing something to happen in my life, I realize it's not something that can pull me down because God's already put something inside of me that lifts me higher. Like what happens around me can never take from me what God has already given to me. In other words, you could say it this way. When our lives are about Jesus, we'll have a joy that never flees us. Amen? When our lives are about somebody who's so much more unshakable, when our lives are founded on somebody who, who never runs away, when somebody who our, our lives are, are centered in somebody who will never leave us and never disappoint us, when he's the reason for our lives, that's when I discover a joy that never flees. Joy never flees us when our lives are about Jesus. You can have unshakable joy, even in the hardest times. But how? What does that look like? What is unshakable joy? What does joy that's more than a feeling look like in 2021? Here's the six habits I think Paul outlines. Number one is to pray. Prayer. Prayer is the first habit. Regularly take your life to Jesus. Notice this, verse 4. Man, I thank my, or verse 3 and 4. I thank my God every time I remember you all. In my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. There's just something about the wonderful presence of Jesus, amen, that puts my tiny fears into perspective and my incomplete pleasures in context. The more that I go to Jesus in prayer, the more that I realize that the things that drag me down are still in the strong hands of a God who loves me too much to just let them destroy me. That when I'm regularly going to God in prayer, all of a sudden, these things that seem so huge and so painful and so devastating just look like things that can be redeemed. I'm not saying there's no mountain in your life. I'm not saying there's no giant in your life. I'm not saying there's no pain in your life. But I'm saying that God's bigger. So he's going to take it away from me. He's going to teach, it, teach me through it. He's going to strengthen me. He's going to demonstrate his glory for the watching world. But my joy cannot be robbed when prayer is my normal routine. When that is the normal language of my life, that I am fluent in prayer, my, 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 I'm taking myself into the presence of God regularly. My goodness, how much that puts things into perspective. Amen? So prayer... Number two is share. Yeah, they rhyme. I'm a preacher. Talk about the good news of Jesus. Come on. Has God done something in your life? Talk about it. Do you have a testimony? Don't keep it quiet. I think sometimes we think of this whole concept of evangelism or, or sharing the gospel as this, this really intricate thing that we need to have a theology degree for. We just need to have all the bravery you know, of, of somebody who stands on a pulpit every Sunday, you don't need to be a preacher to share the gospel. You don't need to have a degree to talk about what God's done in your life. I'm not saying know everything in the, have the whole thing memorized. Yeah, it'd be awesome if you had the whole Bible memorized. What I'm saying is share your story. 
I promise you that's going to be more powerful and more persuasive than, than all of the theological platitudes that you could put together in, in one concise statement. Your story is what God is using for his glory. Don't hide that part. You may not know all the answers. You may need to call somebody. You may need to say, hey, you know what? I don't exactly know right now. Let me look that up for you later. But your story of what God has done in you and through you and how he's changed you or done something for you, that is your testimony. Share the good news. Guys, that is good news because if you have a testimony that gives hope to somebody else, then maybe that could happen for me. Prayer, share, and then number three is pair. Partner with other people as you follow Jesus. You can't go it alone, y'all. You just, you cannot go this alone. You need to partner with other people. Maybe you don't need to go out together. It's like, hey, hey, Joe, can you come with me to work? There's this guy that I want to share the gospel with, and I don't know how to do it. It's like, well, maybe that might be possible. Maybe that's not possible. What I mean is stay in close proximity. Stay in community. Stay partnered up with people who encourage you in your faith. Because when you go and you're shaking the gates of hell, when you're sharing the good news, I promise you the enemy hates it. He's going to discourage you or try to dissuade you or try to distract you. You're going to need somebody who partners with you. Partner with somebody to help you follow Jesus. Well, your life, when it's not about you, you're going to need someone to remind you that it's not about you. Ooh, that's where it gets hard. <laughs> because we want this life to be about us. And so it's like, it's easy to get fired up on a Sunday morning to go like, yes, come on, Satan, give me your best shot. And then you get out to Monday and you're like, okay. You need somebody to give you courage, to encourage you. I love this. Paul, he doesn't even try to do this alone. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel until now, I'm confident that God's going to work in you. I'm confident because of your partnership. So prayer, share, pair. Number four, declare. Okay, speak God things over people. When the words of your mouth demonstrate that you believe that God is up to something in somebody else's life, that's when you're going to begin to have the joy. Right? There are so many times that it's easy to hear something from somebody and take it personally. To, to, to think it's per pervasive. It, it refers to all of me, and this is all that it is. To think that it's permanent. That, man, this is never not going to be true about me. And when I begin to, like, be on the receiving end of things, and I'm just like, oh, stop saying, like, and it, people are going to hurt you. This is life, y'all. But when you're on the offensive end, I'm, I'm going to choose to speak God things over people. When I'm actively seeking out the ways that God is working in your life, yeah, all right, you might need to develop a certain area of kindness, but you're in process, and so am I, and I'm going to declare God things over you. I'm going to speak good things over you, and the truth of the matter is, I'm going to speak up because when it's my habit to give an expression to the positive assumption that is what is possible for people. In other words, what God could possibly be up to in your life. Then I'm going to start enjoying your presence a whole lot more and loving life even more. So when I realize, man, there's a deficit in your spiritual growth, which is true for all of us. Amen. 
when there is a, there, there's a process yet to happen, I recognize, man, I'm going to look at the process that's already happened. I'm going to speak the God things over you and recognize, man, God has already been up to something. I can't wait for what's next. That's a totally different way to say, man, you have so much longer to go. Amen? I can't wait for what's next because I see what God's already been up to. Speak God things over people. I love this. Verse, verse 6, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. Speak God things over people. Number five, refuse despair. You can look forward to good things from Jesus. Come on, somebody needs to hear this. You can look forward to good things. Good things are still in the future because God is still good. Amen? My dad used to say to me a lot, anticipation is in and of itself a sensory delight. In other words, I'm going to enjoy what I have right now because I'm looking forward to something. Let me say it this way. If I'm eating three pieces of pizza, there's only two of them that I enjoy. The first two. The last one is just kind of like a, a, a landing strip. All right, I was like, yeah, okay, now I'm bringing this down here. All right, the first one's like, oh, it's so good because I have two more coming. The middle one's like, oh, it's so good because I just had one and I'm going to have another one. The final one is like, oh, I guess I'm done now. But here's the truth. You tend to feel better about things when you find a way to get excited about what's coming up. The opposite is also true. Fear and dread tend to work out as self-fulfilling prophecies. Have you noticed that? That if you despair that today is going to be terrible, you're almost always right. I'm not saying you need to be foolish. There are definitely things that warrant proper attention. Um, but if you reject fear as a way of life, if you refuse to despair, your experience of joy will increase immediately. Okay? And let me help you out with this. There are true things that are currently true right now that are blessings on your life that God is still up to, that God is doing, that you are currently living in, that are worth being happy about, that are worth having joy Okay, no matter what is happening in, in life, these things are eternally true, therefore they are currently true. Okay, let me just read a few. There's, there's almost certainly remind you that life is better than you're currently feeling. You're blameless and free from accusation. Christ is in you. You're chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. You're a child of light and not darkness. You've been given a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. You're a holy partaker in a heavenly calling. You have the right to come boldly before the throne of God to find mercy and grace. You've been given an exceedingly great and precious promises by God, by which you are a partaker of God's divine nature. You're forgiven by God. You're anointed by God. You're a child of God. You're loved. You have life. You've been made complete in Christ. You're a child of light and not darkness. You've been redeemed. You've been justified. You've been made righteous. You're free forever from condemnation. And you are a conqueror through Christ who loves you. Come on. You can have joy in any season of life. Refuse to despair. These things are always true. And they are always going to remain worthy of belief. Thank you. I'm going to preach it. Number six is care. Treat other people the way Jesus would treat them. I heard somebody about what I'm about to say next. Say, man, that should be on a billboard. And the billboard is your life. This is what it should be on. Because the idea to treat other people the way Jesus would, to love people, is not something that is natural to you. You want to say 
that you agree with what I'm about to say, but you're going to have to put it on every single day. Because every single day you're going to wake up and you're going to be selfish and it's not going to be, but you're, uh, you're going to put it on, you're going to care. Because here's the truth, you've got to allow other people to have a wide range of emotion and perspective like you do. You've got to understand when others mess up or make mistakes, because you do. You've got to stop expecting other people to be predictable and perfect when you want them to treat you with grace and flexibility. Right? I promise you, compassion is harder than it sounds. To give other people the benefit of the doubt in the same way that you would want them to give to you. Man, we're so quick to make assumptions about other people and their motives. And man, I hear this one day and I instantly know the rest of the story. But when I'm going to treat people like Jesus would, or I'm going to love people like Jesus would, I'm going to allow them to have a wide range of experiences that led them to this, that I'm not going to make a quick a snap judgment. I'm going to care for these people. I'm going to give them affection. I'm going to give them compassion in the moment. And I'm going to have to choose to put it on every single time. But here's, here's the promise, that compassion will increase your peace. Joy is what you taste when you're quick to give out grace. Joy will be what you taste when you're quick to give out grace to other people. But it's not natural because you're going to have to put it on every single time. Man, another person who's hurting comes into my pathway. They're probably going to hurt me in the process because hurt people hurt people, right? Healed people help heal people. So if I've been receiving the love of Jesus and I've been declaring God things over people and I've been filled up with joy and God's beginning to slowly heal my life and I'm going to put on this compassion for other people and somebody who's been hurt comes over here it's probably going to hurt but I'm going to speak God things over people and recognize man I'm excited for what God's about to do in your life not I can't wait for, I mean you got so much more to go Right now, God has already been working in your life. God has been good to you. There are true things that are, yes, I know you're hurting and that one hurt, but I'm going to give you grace and I'm going to give you grace and I'm going to give you grace. And you know what happens? Joy is, is going to be what I taste. Joy is what you taste when you're quick to give out grace. So as you be, you're going to begin to cultivate an overflowing Jesus joy when these are your habits. Prayer. Routinely take your life to Jesus. Share. Talk about the good news of Jesus. Pair. Partner with others as you follow Jesus. Declare. Speak God things over people. Refuse to spare. Look forward to good things from Jesus. And care to treat other people the way Jesus would. And when your life is not about you, what happens around you can never take from you what God has deposited in you. In other words, joy never flees us. Even when Paul's in prison, even when we go through COVID, even when somebody dies, even when someone hurts you, even if it's on purpose, even if you get cancer and you don't know why God let it happen, joy will never flee. Joy never flees us when my life is about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the joy that you extend before us, that you hold out to us, that is offered for anybody 
who names the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would increase our joy as we draw closer to you, that our lives are beginning to be made more like you, that are shaped around you. God, I pray that you would help us to make our lives completely about you. And in the process, Lord, I pray that you would fill us up with joy. Amen.